Good morning, church. When Pastor was up here last week, he called me a ram in the thicket. I really hope I'm not offered as a burnt offering today. That would not be fun. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my family's been attending about 20 odd years. Um, I attended school here. I spoke here actually right after the North Shore alumni concert that took place last August, I believe, yes, last August. And the message I delivered then is not so different from what the Lord has laid on my heart to deliver now. I spoke of my testimony, I shared my experience in Christian education and more. And I came to the conclusion with you that perhaps the ways we think we're safe are really ways in which we're endangered. And today, I'm going to share with you what the Lord has been placing on my heart for about the last year. Um, for some context, I just started college. I'm down south, um, in the south side of Chicago. And some of my insights are perhaps a little bit more of an outside perspective into what is going on in Adventism today um, and Christianity at large. Um, on that note, uh, I'm going to pray. And I ask that the rest of you pray for me, that whatever words come out of my mouth are not my own, um, but that they're from the Lord. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for just giving us the ability to gather here today to be able to worship you, to be able to serve you, Lord. I ask that as we bring our hearts before you, you grant us an extra portion of your spirit so that even from today we can go out and be able to enact the message that you're, that you're leading us to hear. In Son's name we pray. Amen. If I said... Christianity in the 21st century had never exerted more influence or power on culture than ever before, what would your response be? If, if I told you, perhaps, that Christianity was the ultimate force for good in the modern world, maybe some of you would agree, but it is clear that those around us would not think the same. What has happened? Where has all the fire gone? What has become of us? I don't know, but I can surely tell you that 21st century Christianity starting to lose a lot of ground. And this is not to say that what we believe isn't true, but rather to say that once again, perhaps the way we go about sharing, expressing our beliefs, our Christianity, needs to change, at least a little, if not for our sake, for the sake of those around us. When we as Adventists evaluate other denominations, evaluate other churches, we're fairly critical. We're the remnant church. So that gives us a leg up, right? Take a look at the Catholics. They're having schisms, 
like they've been having for the past thousand years. The progressives are losing sight of their traditional values and the traditionalists are continuing to listen to whoever's above them. The Calvinists are content to remain as scholars in their universities, to listen to the words of Karl Barth, maybe some R.C. Sproul. The Pentecostals and the Evangelicals are even right now involved in a greater power grab for the sake of the name of God. Evangelicals flock more and more to the television Christianity and the prosperity gospel. What about the Adventists? What about us? If someone came into our church and evaluated the issues, the way that we run our lives, what would the evaluation be? Would it be less or more forgiving? I would say, having been in this church, this church for nearly 20 years, that maybe I, I have some ability to speak on what's going on. And I could be wrong. And I want to make it clear that today is not an attack on our institution, but rather an understanding of what we need to do to pass the baton on, to keep moving forward. Adventism has many schools, many churches. We pride ourselves on our education, on our institution, on, on how advanced our hospitals are. We pride ourselves on our lifestyle. This is what the world knows us for. But is that the legacy we want to leave? Our schools are constantly touted as having the second most amount of religious schools in the, in at least a second amount of Christian schools in the entire world. We're only second to the Catholics, so that's good. But is that the legacy we want to leave? Playing second fiddle to Babylon. What about our, our hospitals? There's many of them, and, and don't get me wrong, that, that doesn't mean that just because we we're not doing everything perfect. We should not appreciate the good that comes out of our institutions. We have many programs that lead to nursing. We have many programs that lead to many other walks of life that encourage us to be healthier and live better lifestyles. But if that is the sole reason someone is attracted to Christianity, someone is attracted to Adventism, maybe we are leaving God out of the equation. And and the concern for the modern era is that in this era of pluralism, of information that we're constantly taking in, we're trying to beat Satan at his own game. We have a school, we, we just started up again. One of my sisters is attending. All four of my parents' children attended that school. And it is a beautiful environment for learning, for being in a Christian community. But if we think that because we send our kids to a Christian elementary school, that that fully prepares them for being able to combat the devils, that the, that the devils, the demons that the devil is going to throw at us, I believe we're mistaken. I shared a year ago 
about just how mistaken I was. That for a whole decade, even while attending an institution, being part of the church here, my life was radically different than what anyone would have wished for a young Christian male. And this is the issue, not just with myself, but with thousands of Adventists across our university campuses, across our school campuses, across our churches, that we spend so much time living in our own communities, living in our own culture, that we forget what it means to actually defend our faith. When I started attending the university um, in Hyde Park, one of the first things I noticed wasn't actually just how evil the secular world is, but rather how well-trained some of the Christian youth there were. Kids who are my age, far more understanding and advanced in theology, far more advanced and uh, in understanding how to live their Christian lives, not just because they had grown up in a culture. Some of them didn't know Christ till the last year, year and a half. But the way they approached their Christianity was with such a fervor, such a desperation to love God, that it superseded any of the dangers that living on a, a secular campus might bring. I don't know, I don't know if Adventism is prepared to give the next generation that type of fire. And if we are the remnant church, should not, should not us do more than our Calvinist brethren, than our Catholic brethren? Should we not do more to point out the truth so that we can bring them to a greater understanding of what it is to live in Christ? Adventism is late to the game by about 1,850 years, give or take. That does not give us an excuse to back down in our communities. We just had a pastor come into our church about six months a year. I can't quite remember. He came and he said, I don't want to do this alone. He did it in a sermon, but he told the church, Look, I want our church to move forward. I can't do it alone. Is the church ready to support him in that mission? Do we recognize the era we live in? We're in the middle of the greatest country in the world. We're smack dab in the middle, and we're in the middle of a large city there. Do we not have an opportunity now in this era of information that we never had before? Should we not take advantage of that opportunity? If so, where are Adventist thinkers? Where are scientists? Where are logicians, our mathematicians? And there was silence in the house. They're not there. We we're not quite ready yet. We want to be ready. We know, we know that it's the truth, that this right here, this is the book we ascribe our belief to, that we have a God above. We know it. Where is our action?
I believe, I believe that the issues surrounding our denomination today come down to our focus, come down to our motives, come down to what we're fighting for. And I believe that because so many of us are haunted, as Pastor said just a couple weeks ago, are haunted by the lives that we've lived, by the understanding we have of the world around us, that we're scared. We're scared to show our children that side of life. The harsh reality that is being a human in this world. We do our best to protect them for it. We cover their eyes. We shield their screens. We do everything we can to make sure that all they know is God. But now it's a different era. Satan has mastered this era of information. He's mastered the ability to manipulate our lives so that we have to confront him. And I'm sorry, but there's going to be times in which we fail. In which we fail to protect our children, in which we fail to protect ourselves. And our response determines the type of Christians that we're going to be. The Lord, throughout this last summer, has been leading me to think about the house of Israel, the way in which we as Adventists are similar. We're Sabbatarians, sure, but we also live in our own communities. We also have our own way of life amongst the other nations. And we also think that, yeah, maybe we're okay because we have all these places of refuge that we can turn to. Turn with me to Jeremiah 35. Turn with me to Jeremiah 35. I, I think that so many of us as Adventists have become so focused on this charmed ease that we live our lives with that we've forgotten, we've forgotten the real reason God called us to serve him in the first place. If we understand the situation of the house of Israel, we know we know that even aside from their service to other gods, we know that they consistently attended their synagogue, they consistently attended church, they came, they sat in the pews, they did praise and worship. But yet, God still laid out punishment, punishment for how they had turned away from him. And I want to focus... This is not the only time in which the Israelites are condemned, but if you go to Jeremiah 35, 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard. I have called them, but they have not answered. All right, time out. We see, we see here the way in which God is going to lay out his punishment. He's going to send them into Babylon. And as we explored with Pastor, we know that the Israelites were people who came out of Babylon. They were sent, Abram was sent from Ur to Canaan to live in the land of promise. But, but now times have changed. Israel's become a big nation. Israel, while not a threat, 
looks right for the taking. It is inevitable that because of the course of human sin, that at some point the Israelites were to be handed over to Babylon again. And the same is true for us. We live in an age where we can see it coming. We can see that our way of life is being attacked. We see them attacking our belief in God, our belief in a Christian God, at least. We know that society is moving further and further into sin. And we can blame it on, on anyone we want. We can play, blame it on the Democrats. We can blame it on the Republicans. We can blame it on the Jesuits. We can blame it on, on just the amount of media that's coming through into our lives every day. But the truth is, we haven't done anything to stop it. For the last 2,000 years, Christianity has been mostly comfortable with arguing about a few doctrines. So this is the state we're in. They are going to come, and they will put our children to the test. And if we constantly live our lives in fear that, oh, I'm not going to go to heaven. Oh, my children aren't going to go to heaven. If we constantly live in this fear that, oh, I won't be able to worship on the Sabbath freely, we're going to miss out on the actual reward that God has promised for us, not just in heaven, but in this time. You see, Jeremiah continues in this passage, down at verse 18, he continues in this passage, and he speaks about the house of Chab, which which, by the way, had been spending so much time fleeing from the Babylonians, they had basically just arrived in Jerusalem. They had arrived in Jerusalem because they were fleeing from Babylon, and now they're about to be taken away. But Jeremiah gives, gives them the news of their reward. He said, to the house of the, uh, he said to the house of Rahab, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jodadab your father and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he had commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. In the NIV, it says that the house of the Rechabites will never lack a man to serve him. Imagine a Christianity not focused on preaching our lifestyle, not focused on preaching a specific doctrine, not focused on anything but service to God. That's scary because here it says, look, I know, I know that you love all the things that I've shared with you. I know that you've been grateful for the time I've given you to be able to serve me. I know you've kept yourselves pure. But you're going to be carried along with the rest of the house of Israel. As the rest of Christianity looks culturally like it's going to go down the tubes, Adventists will not be free from what is about to happen. And if they are not free, are we living with this mentality of, I am training my children, I am training the next generation to be able to minister in that time? That is not something we can do from the comfort of the pews or the comfort of our schools, the comfort of our universities, the comfort of our hospital. Those are simply not enough. 
If we take a look at Christianity in America, everyone's got negative numbers. Not just the percentage of population, but the amount is slowly dropping. Satan is thinning out the herd. And Adventists, because we've played this game so long, we've perfected this game with, with, with making sure that we keep our kids in schools and keep our kids in our universities, make sure they only know Adventist doctors, only know Adventist lifestyle, we've kept ourselves growing. And we see this as a healthy sign of God's blessing upon us. And, and while this may be true, I think it leaves us unaware of the hard truth that at some point everyone's faith is going to be put to the ultimate test. And sometimes that doesn't involve a Sunday law and someone putting a sword at your throat. Sometimes that involves the way our children go on social media and present themselves. The way they go into a public school and live out their faith. The way they go and sit at a restaurant and Sure, don't order pork. But I'm pretty sure that there will be some harsher tests for us. What they look up when they're on their internet. What they imbibe when they're going to college. And, and we should not be so blind as to pretend that any of us or that any of our children are any more safe just because we spent however many years training them in our institution. What will happen instead is because we have no knowledge of how to combat the world, that our kids will leave by the droves. They, there's no reason for them to stay. If we do not show, if we do not show our lives in service to him. Imagine a Christianity, imagine a Christianity where our mentality is service to God Service to God, not for the sake of culture, but for the sake of who he is. Our lifestyles, not because everyone else in the SDA community tells us, but because we want to know how to serve him better. And so we'll extend our lives as long as we can to do that. Today's text from Exodus 20, notice the backdrop of the law. Deuteronomy 5, I know some of you others like it, like it in Deuteronomy, but... Exodus 20, the beginning of the law, before, before God gives a command to any of the people of Israel, he qualifies his statement. He doesn't need to, because he's God. He doesn't need to qualify his statement. But notice what he says in verse 2. I, I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. See, to me, I'm a philosophy major, so I always see things in terms of because this, then this. It seems to me he's saying, because I am the Lord your God, because I brought you out of Egypt, because I brought you from the house of bondage, therefore you shall have no other gods before me. And it seems to me that we just want to go down and we want to go down all the way to verse where it says, remember the Sabbath day. We're so focused on that, we forget that everything here is in sequence. God says, look, I brought you out of Babylon. I brought you from that addiction, from that temptation, from that sin. So serve me. And if you're going to serve me, 
you might as well serve me as well as you can. And that involves taking a day to worship me. That involves not killing people. That involves not lying. Instead, we have this mentality that if we just feed our kids a lifestyle and a law, that they'll somehow get it. With none of this experience in bondage, they'll somehow decide, yes, even though I don't know what God's done for me, I'm going to choose him forever. I was talking with Pastor the first time he arrived, and we were, we were discussing the idea of spiritual poverty. One of the things that, that I know my parents, my relatives always says, you can never teach poverty. The lessons therein teach you such a wisdom that I've, I've never had to live like that. I would never understand. Now, the same is true for our spiritual lives. Many of us, many of us know what it's like to suffer in different degrees, sure, but all of us have this understanding of what it is to be human. And Christianity has done a really good job of covering that up. We don't want to discuss our problems. We don't want to discuss our sins because we think somehow that takes away from the message of God's grace. But if you listen to Paul, he says, no, God's grace is made more relevant, more clear when we speak on these issues. Imagine a Christianity in which instead of hiding our kids from all the things the world does, we show them, not because we want them to be attracted to them, but so that they can understand, look, this is what a world without God looks like. Then an understanding of, of the graciousness of God will drive our kids toward it. They won't run away because they're scared of all the laws. And it seems to me that anything that, that we do as a church always seems to be focused on something other than this point. Some of us are young and fit and healthy and active. We want to go out and serve humanitarian principle. That's not a bad thing. Some of us want to be able to meditate in our own homes and pray and study the word more. That's not a bad thing. But if what is driving us is not the atonement of Christ, then everything we do will ultimately just fall flat. Not even just by God's standards, by the world's standards. Because they will know we're not being honest about who we really are. The world has been living it for years. They know humans are sinful. They know we are sinful too, because we're also human. If we were willing to accept that, how much more effective would our ministry be? If instead of hiding behind prophecy, we just said, hey look, the only message we have for you is that we're messed up and God is the only one who can take it away. I really wanted to use this text instead of the Exodus text, but uh, it was a little cliche. If you go to the end of Revelation 3, everyone's heard this. Everyone's heard that the last day church is the church of Laodicea. Right? If you turn to the end of Revelation 3, chapter 14. Oh, sorry. Chapter 3, verse, verse 14. Let's start at verse 16. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and know not that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you might be rich 
and white raiment that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness does not appear, and anoint thy eyes with thyself that thou mayest see. Let's focus on the, let's focus on, on the first, the first verse, there. verse 17. I am rich, I am increased with goods. I, I am healthy. I don't, I don't eat that babble on me. I, I know not that I am wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That our churches, that the structures that we've built, that they're still filthy rags, is, is that a thought that enters our mind? If we actually got it through our thick heads that everything we do is only alive because of the grace of God, wouldn't that change the purpose for why we do things? If instead of arguing about the music that goes on in our worship service, we just decided, hey, I'm here to worship God. If instead of, of saying, oh, look, uh, we need someone to lead the youth, we get in there to do it ourselves so that the next time our primary youth pastor leaves, things don't fall apart. If instead of saying, oh, this church needs that pastor, we decide, no, this church needs God, and we move along. Because just because our sergeant leaves doesn't mean the general's not still in charge. Now, now this, this, is, this is the primary point of what I want to say. We constantly try to teach our kids how to act in love with God. But we do that without explaining the truth that should drive them toward those actions. And we do so, we, we, we do so without explaining why the human experience should drive them toward that truth. Imagine the world in which Christians decide to be upfront and honest about their testimonies, about who they really are. To open up about their dark sides and say, this is why I need God. And this is why God wants me, God needs me to go out and spread that message to others. I, I remember that I was, at, I was at the university, this was like my second week in there, and there was a lot of kids who had, from my dorm who had never seen a city before. Never seen it. And so we're out in downtown, and a lot of them are looking up, and I assume at the buildings. There's this one person, they were from Texas, and they just couldn't keep their head from like looking up. And, and I was like, impressive, right? There's an even taller one down the street. We were getting ready to pass the Trump Tower, actually. Um, I think we were at close to the Prudential. Um, and, and they just looked at me puzzled, and they said, oh, wait, no, uh, I'm looking for the stars. <laughs> I, felt, I felt so, I felt fairly embarrassed. I felt fairly embarrassed, but then I remembered. My experience has been with all these buildings. My experience has been with all the amazing things that I've seen Christians in America do, Adventism doing, that, that I lose sight of what's really up there. Imagine if, imagine if a Christian decided that the important thing wasn't the lifestyle that we live, but the reason why we live that lifestyle. The reason why we attempt to scrape the sky. Because we need someone up there. If we turn just a chapter back to the church in Ephesus. See, see, I'm not going to read the whole thing. See, 
Jesus knows that we have all these things we care about. He knows that we can't stand the evil in the world. He knows we hate the Nicolaitans, or at least the works they do. But he has a tiny thing against us. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your candlestick from its place, except if you repent. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to have the luxury of being able to reflect in our slavery to Babylon. Yes, this is why we need God. We need to know it now. Because it does, it does seem clear to me that the way we're acting, the way we're living, is an attempt to capture something that the world does. Instead of just being honest, hey, this is the reason I came to God. If you read the spirit of prophecy, yes, Ellen White tells us all these amazing things we should do to be able to live better lives for Christ. But the one thing she always says to reflect on is the atonement. Spend an hour or two every day in the life of Christ. Is, is that the type, of, the, the type of love that we have toward God in our personal lives? To be able to God and say, oh, well, this decision isn't because, you know, my parents taught me this. This decision is because, hey, I love God more, and I want to love him even more so that I can serve him as perfectly as possible. What that means now, what that means now for our era of information is, yes, a radicalized way of the way we view our Christianity. What that means is that how we present no, that, that we present to non-believers first. But how we present to non-believers has nothing to do with all the great things God gives us. Because he does give us great things, but if we're so focused on those, we lose sight of the gospel. If we tell them, hey, our reward is nothing but a deeper relationship with Christ, wouldn't that at least intrigue them? Because they hear from so many different walks of life, yes, Eat this and you'll live 20 years more. Or live like this and you'll never have back pain. They, they, that's what they hear from the rest of the world. Christianity is not some large commercial. This, this era right now is our opportunity to say, hey, look, we get that everyone in life is dealing with oppression and injustice. We get that everyone is dealing with, with hunger. But what if the primary purpose in our lives was actually more than just physical? That's a hard thing. That's a message the world does not want to hear. It's so much easier to talk about all the great things we can do in Christ that we forget to actually just, to just be his. We forget that this world is waiting for us to provide an actual reason for our faith. They know that this is not enough. They know that what will make you content is not two hours, three hours, maybe four if the sermon is long, of being in church every weekend. They know no amount of prayer or Bible study will, will make their lives have fulfillment. 
And we know it too. We are trying and we're failing. If we just acknowledged how miserable we actually are, how, how excessively evil our human condition is, couldn't, couldn't we actually just before the throne of grace and ask God for forgiveness? This is, this is the thing. As, as someone who's been in this church for a while, I know, I know that there's no amount of service in here. There's no amount of sermons I can preach in here that will fulfill the message God has asked me to take. And that's true for many more of us. There's a whole world out there, a field ripe for harvest, that we should be ready to take. All of us need to step into positions of leadership. Not necessarily a church title, but that all of us understand that we're on the front lines here. We're ready to lead the, lead the charge for Christ. First Peter 3.15, I think, that we just, we know how to defend our faith. Ephesians 5.11, we know how to expose the works of darkness. And after exposing them, we explain that, hey, this is the way we approach our lives. In Ezekiel 33, there's actually a, a bitter warning that God gives to the people of Israel. He does it by talking about a watchman. And if you think about it, don't think too hard about it, but the way we view ourselves as the remnant church, are we not meant to be the guardians of the door, not hiding in the back? Are we not supposed to be watching for the rest of Christianity? Ezekiel 33, 6. If the watchman sees the sword coming and blows not the trumpet and the people are not warned, and if the sword comes and takes any person from among them, if he is taken away in his sin, his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. There's a judgment for us. If we're not ready, if we're not ready to lift up the trumpet, we're not ready to proclaim to the rest of the world some of these issues, they're not the ones at fault. God will require the blood at our hands. And that goes for us and the generations that come after us. Where do we start? I, I'm not sure. But I, I know that does not come from simply living in our communities. I know that Satan has been fighting this campfire Christianity for years and years. He knows exactly how to make sure that we're just Christian enough we stay comfortable, but not so Christian that we're actually a threat. That, oh, we can see Babylon is coming a few years in the distance, maybe 30 years, 40, there'll be a Sunday law, but, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter because I'm able to worship God today. If we understood the straits that we're in, that our children are in, would we not at least attempt at a real living relationship with God? Would not our communities change of, instead of spending more time among each other, 
We learned how to spend it among those out in the world. That's dangerous because that means we actually have to spend the time and energy to really think about our faith. We actually have to know why we believe. And, and that's never fun because then we have to confront this spiritual poverty that we're in. We have to confront all this doubt. Is there a God? Was there really a man named Jesus Christ who came down to ancient Palestine to get hung on a piece of wood for my sins? We have to listen to all the questions. We have to feel all the answers that the world wants to give and then explain, well, see, this isn't why it works. And that is a lot, a lot of time and energy that a lot of us really don't want to spend. And this is, my, this is my beg, this is my plea to you, church, to the rest of Christianity. If you don't take the time and energy now, we will lack men in service to God for generations and generations. And that scares me because, because I know that I know that None of this, of what we're doing, is sustainable. Maybe we'll last for another generation or two like this. But, but if Satan has gotten so good at cracking everyone else, if we're not absolutely sure of what we believe, don't you think he'll get to us too? This is not, this is not meant for me to be a harbinger of doom. I'm not here to tell you that, hey, you're doing it wrong, so just give up. No. But I'm asking, church, if we, a church of 300 strong, if we, with educated children, with educated leaders, if we, with all the experience in the world among us, do not know how to go out and at least express our faith in the workplace, in the way we live our lives, to people who aren't Christian, doesn't that say something about the strength of our faith? I know, I know that if Adventism really believes that it has the present truth, then they will go out and do everything possible to present that truth to others. I know that if someone really understands what it means to be saved by God, they will burn their lives out attempting to serve God back. That, that, that is the burden of the Christian. That whatever we do is for no other purpose but to get closer with God and to bring others toward him. An absolute surrender. And, and this is why I really wanted to preach a sermon on individual conviction, but that's just something that's impossible to do. The Spirit talks to me every day, and I know that there are some things I haven't given up yet that I need to work on giving up. And, and I know that's the same for the rest, <laughs> the rest of Christianity. And, and it almost made me feel, well, if I haven't perfected this, maybe I shouldn't judge. But if we as a community decided that, all right, all right, we'll at least give this a go. We'll at least 
try to put in our all, then the rest of us might follow. That if the church showed a powerful conviction as a community to learn everything about faith, to learn everything about it, what it means to serve the world, to learn everything about what it means to defend our faith on this platform, then, then the rest of us might start taking it seriously. And that goes both ways. We need strong leaders and we need strong people in the pews to back up those leaders. We need strong people in our universities, yes, but we need strong people to go back out into the world and show them, hey, this is why your, this is why your lives aren't so good. That's, that is not currently the Adventist approach. No North American division is going to be able to give us a handbook for how to be able to go serve the world. This is our only tool. And, and the spirit of prophecy is meant to be a commentary on how to use that tool. And, and that's really all we have. We're sent out into the battlefield with a sword and not much else because that's all we need. Not, not, this, not this huge amount of, of schools or professors or hospitals and doctors that tell us we're getting it right. If we came as we are, if we understood just how vulnerable we are, how much we need God, if we decided, hey, I'm vulnerable, that the rest of my brethren are vulnerable, if we came out as people who don't have it all together, would that not at least tell the world these people are being honest? Honesty is not something the world has in great supply. If we're at least honest with our children, maybe they'll consider faith as more than just a culture. Maybe we'll view our God as more than cultural. Maybe we'll begin to explain to others why it's not just about the church services, why it's not just about the prayer meetings, why it's not just about the activism, but that the real truth is there is a God who came down to this earth to save us from who we were. I know a girl back at the university. I'm going to call her A. She's been gifted with everything in the world. She's rich. She has a good family. Even among the intelligent, she's extraordinarily blessed. She knows, she knows so much about, about science, she's going to make an excellent doctor one day. Her head, down to her feet, is covered in scars. Because no matter what you have in this world, no matter how healthy you are, you will never have enough without Christ. I saw that. I saw that. And now I know where I need to start. When I get back on campus, one of the first things I do, having been friends with this person for a year, I know I have to go in there and just be willing to share about my faith. And that might not work. And I might get ridiculed. I might get actually, actually just, 
just shown up to be like, oh, this is another crazy Christian trying to tell me how to live my life. And if that happens, okay. You shake, you shake the dust off your feet and move on, just like Jesus says. And we need to be all willing to do the same. Because this entire world is covered top to bottom in scars. And if they don't know that someone else took those scars for them, they're going to keep taking it. And our children are going to suffer from that blood too. If we don't show them that, hey, this is what life means with Christ. Not with our churches, not with Adventist education, not with Sabbatarianism, not with understanding the state of the dead, not with the investigative judgment. This is what it means to be atoned for. If we love our God that much, then everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. And if everything else falls into place, maybe we as Christians can actually accomplish the great work that God has for us. To be able to go out and tell the entire world about who we are, about who God is. And then the end will come. Not because we as Christians are so worried about heaven, but because we love God so much, we'll do everything we can to be that much closer to him. We as a church need to have a vision. And we know what it is. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for giving us this ability to be able to come before you and recognize how broken, how wretched, how blind we really are. I ask that your grace cover us, that your wings hover, o- hover over us and give us this ability to be able to do your will. For us to be reminded that the only thing that we really have is you. Help us to bear our cross as we wait to, to wait for you, Lord. Help us to be able to go to the world that is dying and tell of your salvation. Thank you for giving us this ability and chance to serve you. Do not let us waste our opportunity. Your son's name we pray.